May the words I speak and the words you hear be God's alone. Amen. Welcome to this Monday in Holy Week worship service. Grace and peace to you. Our story for today is one of significance told between two deaths, the death of Lazarus and the death of Jesus. Lazarus and his two sisters were close to Jesus. It's safe to say they were followers, they were intimates. Chapter 11, verse 5 says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He wept when he heard that Lazarus had died. Though Jesus had delayed his return to Bethany, appearing to do so, so that God would be glorified. Upon approaching the tomb, he orders that the sealing stone be rolled away. Martha cautioned that Lazarus had already been dead four days and that there would be a stench, the smell of decay. Not heeding her warning, Jesus orders Lazarus to come out and he emerges from the tomb. You can imagine the stir. You can imagine how awestruck those in attendance were. Many were brought to faith in Jesus, and officials in Jerusalem determined that Jesus must die, we read. It's also noted that Jesus and his disciples left that region for the town of Ephraim, near the desert, in hiding until his time had come and he would enter Jerusalem one last time. Four days, the number is significant. It signifies true death. There was a belief at the time that up until the third day, the soul might remain, the body might revivify, and the person might just be sleeping only to awaken once again. Lazarus was dead three plus one days. That is the first death. Lazarus became a figure of interest and of controversy. I remember Martin Scorsese's film, The Last Temptation of Christ, an adaptation of Nikos Katsanzankas' novel. The figure of Lazarus was changed by his true death experience. He was almost a shadow of his former self 
but alive, and something of a celebrity held at arm's length. The second death will come in a few days, scarcely a week after our anointing story. It is, of course, the death of Jesus, his death on a Roman cross, his paradoxical glorification before God. An event that he, well, he strides toward in this fourth gospel, fully aware, fully accepting of his role. We gather this week to anticipate and to remember his final hours and the glorious resurrection which follows on Easter and the entire 50 days of celebration. But as our lesson opens for today, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It is six days before the Passover. Martha, Mary, and the newly delivered Lazarus are hosting Jesus, perhaps in celebration of his raising of their cherished sibling. How can you repay such a debt? How can you show gratitude for so great a gift, so holy and healing a presence as Jesus? Martha busies herself with preparations and serving. Lazarus is at table, and Mary, I like to think of her as the youngest, has somehow managed to find a way to express her gratitude and love. Even by Middle Eastern standards, it is a magnificent and opulent display. She has purchased a pound of aromatic oil worth 300 denarii, a sum equal to payment for 300 day laborers for a year. It is prized for its scent, a scent that would linger, that would be caught in the hair, in the clothing, even the surroundings in a room for quite some time. It was only found in the Himalayas between the altitudes of 9,800 feet and 16,400 feet above sea level among the highest elevations. It's only here that the spikenard plant can be found. Mary uses the perfumed oil to bathe Jesus' feet, and in a scene never to be forgotten by those who were present, she takes down her hair and uses it to dry the feet of the master. At that time and in that culture, a woman's hair was considered her crown. Mary offered this in a show of humility as a gracious act for her brother's life. As I picture the event, the room is stunned 
to silence. Some, catching their breath, scandalized by its intimacy. Among them, Judas Iscariot, the keeper of the purse. He had other ideas as to where the money ought to have gone. The text is quick to point out that he was a thief and his real motive was his own gain. When he complained, Jesus says that the poor will always be among us. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 15, which in effect says that while they are always with us, they nevertheless need our alms and our aid. But even more startling are his words concerning his own imminent fate. Mary has kept the costly nard for Jesus' burial, now only a matter of hours away. Jesus has been forecasting his fate for some time. Now as it approaches, he is explicit about his end. The Father loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. John 10, 17. Jesus' fate is sealed. Even Lazarus, the man who would die twice, is a marked man. I'm caught this Holy Week by the utter devotion of Mary, the service of Martha, the raising of Lazarus so dear to Jesus. I'm caught by the dignity and resolve of Jesus, somehow one with the Father, and his love for the world, a world that scarcely knew him, much less accepted him. And I wonder about the room in Bethany where the lavish display took place. When word came of the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, the hasty burial, did Martha, Mary, and Lazarus gather once more and did the fragrance remain as strong as their devotion had been? I like to think it offered consolation and a modicum of comfort in the dark hours. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.